This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. How you be here? We're here. Thursday. It's One Bills Live. Glad you're here with us. We'll be with you until 3. And uh, we're making our way through the AFC East. Now that the bulk of offseason roster construction is over, spend yesterday on the Patriots. We'll do the same today on the Dolphins. We'll get into our topic of discussion concerning those Dolphins in just a second. But, um, you know, a lot still going on around the NFL. I know Steve kind of has something he wants to bring up with respect to draft choices um, and signing of rookie contracts. I mean, we saw some other rookies sign. The Bills' whole draft class is signed already. Yeah, most uh, most teams are getting it done. If they haven't got it done, there's only one or two guys left that's right. to the, get done. The Giants just today agreed to terms with their first-round pick, Deontay Banks, the corner from Maryland, on his four-year deal. Uh, as we know, the Bills signed Dalton Kincaid late last week. And the Vikings also signed late yesterday wide receiver Jordan Addison, their first-round pick, to uh, his rookie contract. And, yeah, I know th- this is this is one of those waves of change things that – happened in large part to the new CBA yeah. that came through it's, in 2011 gone were the days of gone were the day gone are the days of rookie holdouts at training camp yeah i mean i sat down and asked brownie what's one of the things of the nfl that was used to be huge headline grabbers back in the day and it was an enormous story throughout the offseason what was one of the things that is that is now just a yawn or nobody even cares about and it's signing rookies the first-round draft picks, first overall pick, second overall pick. They used to have to wait their turn to get signed. Sam Bradford's the last guy to ever have to go through that. And it was always this huge story around the country because this guy over here for Atlanta is not going to sign his deal until the guy in front of him or behind him signed his deal. Mm -hmm. And they just we'd all sit around and wait. Now you've got this where – you know, I was talking to Brandon Bean today. Dalton Kincaid isn't here at rookie camp. He goes, and, and Brandon's mumbling under his breath. He's like, the league takes all the skill guys that you drafted this year and takes them to L.A. for a big thing. It's a trading card thing. He's now yeah. we're practicing. We can't, and it's illegal. Even if he doesn't want to go, he can't practice yeah. because the league says it's you guys telling him he has to stay here and practice. So the league takes all these young guys out to L.A. Now it's the league getting in the way of these guys practicing. But it used to be, and we all remember, all guys my, my age, we all remember this. It was a big deal to see what these rookie draft picks were going to sign because it was, all, it was the Wild West when it came to these rookies, rookie deals, right? There was no structure. The, it wasn't a, a boilerplate escalator in the cap that these guys were going to get their contracts. And now it's the league. I think the players are better off. And the league is much better off having these guys in there, get them ready. They're, they set them up for more success uh, coming in. You know, when I was the, – the year I got drafted, it was Bruce got picked first overall. Uh, Ray Childress got picked second overall by the Houston Oilers, and he was a guy – he was my teammate. And it, they, weren't, they weren't at training camp. You know, they, they just weren't there. Ray Childress showed up a week before the first game. Right, and I remember, too, uh, holdouts at Bill's training camp. Dante Whitner was a first-round pick in 06. The guy missed like a week of training camp 
because yeah. the contract wasn't done. And it was an it was a it was a frequent thing every summer. Oh yeah. And look, covering the team, that was no picnic because it was a you're trying to just report on the stuff that's going on out on the field, and you know who's looking good, who's right. not practicing, you know who's moving up in a competition for a position battle. And now you got to baby the, babysit this thing on the side. Uh, the guy signed his contract yet? Yeah, making phone calls and right. like all that stuff. It's like it's one less thing to have to deal with at training camp when most people covering teams are pretty busy to begin with. Yeah, it, and it was yearly, and it was all over the league. Every every team struggled to get it done, and the guys, you know, the top draft picks would invariably show up late, and it'd be awkward because everybody else was all well, you know, well oiled. Everything was a daily routine, and then they throw this you know this prominent player into the mix. Uh, now, they get acclimated right away. I mean, they show up that day, and they start handing them playbooks and all. I mean, they don't even hesitate. And it's the league is much better for it. And I think that's one of the things. And and I, it's not altruistic because the players' union was behind it because they felt that giving these young players so much money at the beginning of their careers was not beneficial to them. And you had other players on the roster who had paid their dues and earned a chance for right. that. So rookie contracts are about earning your way. And like it or not, I think it's more fair. I think it's more fair. Well, right, because it, it was getting a little ridiculous. I mean, guys that hadn't played it down in the NFL were making – Life-changing money. Life-changing money. Yeah. When you had veterans that had been in the league seven, eight years making the veteran minimum. That's right. Which was peanuts by comparison. And That's right. there is some – I think there's some obvious imbalance to that. Um, right. And they set about correcting it, and they have. And now life is a lot easier when we all go to training camp because there are very few examples of rookies that are still not under contract. Uh, some other stuff going on around the NFL. The Jets, as we know, Steve, are trying to renegotiate Aaron Rodgers' contract to make his cap figure Next year, more palatable. It's currently at $107 million. But they don't have a lot of cap space this year with which to work to move some money around. So now it becomes an, an, a shell game of sorts, right. you know, where they've got to move the money around even more, not just with Aaron Rodgers, but with players on their roster under contract. So it came out uh, today – that Jets defensive end Carl Lawson, who signed a big contract two years ago but did not play because he tore his Achilles last year, he's reworked his deal. Uh, that's typical. Jets go right to the guy that doesn't have much of a leg to stand on because he hasn't performed for them really all that much right. yet. Lawson was due a non-guaranteed $15 million, but is now going to be paid a base salary of nine, eight of $8 million of which is guaranteed. And then he can earn another three in incentives. So he essentially takes a $7 million haircut with the potential to make three of that $7 million back. So best case scenario, he takes a $4 million haircut this year. And the Jets get almost $13 million in cap space as a result. Now, according to the reporters covering this, like Jeremy Fowler from ESPN and others, this isn't the last guy that's going to have to move some money around for the benefit of the team. And this isn't just to get Rodgers redone. 
It's to, to try to create enough cap space to get an extension for Quinn and Williams. Right. Quinn and... <laughs> They're going to have to go to, like, yeah. two or three more guys with their hands out, probably. Yeah, it, it's been a minute since the Jets had to pay a quarterback. And now they got to jump through the hoops to get it done. C.J. Mosley's on the list of a guy with – he's making he's due to make 17. Yeah. I mean uh, – At linebacker. And Corey yeah. Davis, 10.5. So you can bet C.J. Mosley is looking at his phone, waiting on it to ring, see if they'll do with him. He's a great player, and so is Quinn and Williams. They need they need those defensive guys to hold that thing together. But I'm telling you, I don't know if they need Corey Davis. Yeah, I, Corey Davis. I mean, think about it. They got to make some tough decisions. Either they got to have some cash on hand to guarantee these guys. Which, if they want C.J. Mosley, if if it was an if it was nobody's guaranteed anything, C.J. Mosley's going to be on their team. Carl Lawson, maybe, maybe. I mean, they just drafted another pass rusher in the first round. Right. So they're finding ways to get these guys under the cap. But you can bet all those guys are thinking it's it's a. That's why Carl Lawson says yes, I will do that deal. Thank you. He's instead of he making, knows he's got to get back on the field. Instead and why of making, not do it in a good defense. Instead of making fifteen, he's saying, okay, I'll make eight, and then everything else. If I if I play the rest of it, then I get nine. And if I play really well, I get twelve, which means I'm only taking a three million dollar haircut. Right. So, but and, that's and a, lining up next to Quinn and Williams, I'm probably not seeing the double teams. Right. I, and he's very with his hat in his hand, saying yes, thank you. You know, because so, he made eight million bucks, he wasn't guaranteed. So, all these guys will do it, but that is exactly the reason. Why they will? Because instead of going fifteen, taking a chance at fifteen million, he's taking eight million. No, no question. Well, he he wasn't going to get fifteen million. It's either take the pay cut or you're going right. to have to go elsewhere. Or you're going to have to sign a deal for a veteran minimum, maybe around the league, somewhere else, somewhere yeah. else, where nobody has any money left. That's right. Yeah, and so the <laughs> the buck doesn't just stop with Carl Lawson. The Jets have more work to do because you're talking about two. Gigantic contracts. If what's left on Rogers' deal combined with what Williams is going to get paid, which is going to be upwards of a nine, it's going to be over ninety million, over four years. It's interesting. So, Bills fans, I mean, we're sitting here, we talk about it all the time, we laugh about it. Some of it's in jest, and some of it is like serious questioning, like this. What if this is the thing that makes it go up in flames for the Jets? Because you always think it's going to be something. Nothing can go all that way. It doesn't do that for everybody, anybody. Nothing goes completely right. The Jets can't fit it. And all of a sudden, Quinn and Williams gone. C.J. Mosley gone. Corey Davis gone. And all of a sudden, their defense, uh, it's not quite what they thought it was going to be. Well, they're not. Uh, well, boom. Start the season. One and three. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> It you light you'd be roasting marshmallows over that fire. It would and be it, go. It would and go they up in would flames. Be delicious. They, <laughs> would be delicious. <laughs> that you know, just because they gotta get it right. I mean, it's not just you, they're learning. Like all of us had to at some point. You're learning, Jed. Yeah, just because you get this great player, that that is not what do I call it? The magic elixir. Bills, Dallas, Patriots. Chiefs. Those are your first four. 
Bills. You can't stop laughing. Bills, Cowboys, Patriots, and the Chiefs. First four weeks. How about them Boom apples? Boom diggity. How about that them is apples? Get the marshmallow roasters out. Because if it doesn't go well in that first month. And listen, if Carl Lawson could play well. I mean, he's, you know. But, man, C.J. Mosley, Corey Davis, they got to get these guys ready. And Quinnen Williams has got to be there, and he's got to be happy. That guy's a difference maker down inside mm-hmm. for their defense. He is an absolute game wrecker. So, now he's unhappy. I mean, it's, it's, a, lot of, it's a lot of, you know, bowling pins to keep in the air when you're juggling. You know? And the you know it's so, funny how much harder it is when you're actually decent, or when your expectations are just a little bit different than where they were. There's optimism on one hand, there's expectations on the other, and the expectations cause pressure, and you know certain outcomes that are musts, not just hopeful. You know <laughs> the Jets. That Rodgers trade, they went from hopeful to expectant. Yep. It's and diff- that's – It's different. It's a huge pressure. It's a huge pressure. It's different. Yeah, I – I'd have to look at the – talk about the Jets tomorrow. I'd have, to, but, yeah. I'd have to look at the salaries and everything to see who would be a likely candidate next. Right. I mean, you mentioned uh, C.J. Mosley, and I think he would probably be first – on the list, but Corey Davis is – I think Corey Davis could be in trouble. I think he could just get clipped altogether. I think that is a his possible cap, His dead cap's only 666000 if he gets cut. Yeah. That's from 10 That's, point. <laughs> and this year he's got an 11.1 cap hit. Right. He's, he's going to get reworked or he's going to be gone. He got – yeah, Quinnen Williams is on the last year of his deal at nine point five, which is a you know it's a good number, but you know you got guys making ninety million on their contract that just signed, who a number of teams would take Quinnen Williams in place of any of those guys. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a big number, and the Jets have got to get it under their cap. Yeah, it's uh, they got some work to do. They're, they're going to be spending a lot of time in the accounting department to get things squared away there and how everything is going to work. Yeah, there's nobody else on their roster that's making anything close to what they would need to move the money around to sign Quinn and Williams. Nobody. It's Corey Davis, Dwayne Brown's – well, Dwayne Brown maybe, and C.J. Mosley. But Dwayne Brown even, I mean, you, you know – He's Better making, feel awfully good about Makai Becton if you're going to throw that guy. He's overboard. making nine. The dead cap hits six anyway. You're only going to gain three million bucks. That yeah. ain't helping you. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Yeah, I. They might be out of options. I mean, I mean, they could. Yeah, they can't even cut Makai Becton because <laughs> it, it cost them more to cut him. <laughs> yeah. So. There's a few guys like that. They got some issues, and and it's starting now with Carl Lawson, and that, that's a, that's a no-brainer. That's a very easy deal to do. Lawson's a longtime veteran who came over from Cincy a couple of years ago. Remember, he snapped his Achilles in mm-hmm. training camp. 
in a in a joint scrimmage with the Packers yeah. up and in Green Bay. Yeah, it's just really it's really unfortunate for him. Signed a huge deal. Now he's you know he's made a stack of cash you know waiting to get healthy. But now the Jets are going, hey, listen, bro. Yeah, if you're gonna get and if you're gonna get Aaron Rodgers, a lot of guys would say, yeah, okay, I'll, yes, absolutely, because I want to be here to reap the benefits of it. But they got to get they got to get to work. They, they got yeah, and more work to do. NFL.com, Steve, ranked the divisions by quarterback talent, and the AFC East did not lead the list. They were second. Any guess as to who might be ahead of them? Uh, AFC West. It is not the AFC West. What? Really? Yeah. For quarterbacks. It was the Wait, a- let me think. Okay. North. It's got yeah, the be. AFC North. Lamar. Lamar. Kenny Pickett. Kenny Joe Pickett. Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow. And Deshaun. Yeah. Okay, I can see that. So I they can see that. they led the list. That to me though is Yeah. Lamar is the Lamar is a difference maker. I mean, the guy's a former MVP, so I get that. But the AFC's got Josh, Tua, and Aaron. And Mac. And that guy. <laughs> and that guy. And you want to name him? <laughs> uh did you see who finished last on the list? Uh, NFC South. Yeah. With and Derek, Derek Carr is the best guy in that division by a long way. Derek Carr, Baker Mayfield, Desmond Ritter, and Bryce Young. Bryce Young might be the second best guy by the end of the season, by midseason. Yeah. Uh, yes. I <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know about his arms. Yeah. Everything. He's a tiny he's, guy. He's a question mark. His arm strength Steve and I, is okay, but not <laughs> it's just okay. Steve and I are watching rookie minicamp footage of the Carolina Panthers from last weekend. Bryce Young looks like they dropped a high school kid in at an NFL practice. He is tiny. He looks – He he's taking snaps from under center, which he didn't really do at Alabama – so put Bryce Young up under center with Carolina's offensive line, which is a big one, and it literally looks like like a like a golden retriever running around with some cows in a in a pasture on the field. He looks little, comparatively speaking. Going to be, I just I worry about that guy. I think it's going to be tough for him to stay healthy. I do not. He could he could prove all of us wrong. You'd be the best thing since sliced bread when he gets in there and plays. Every Andy rookie quarterback sees some third and 20s, Steve. What's happening then? That's right. What's what's happening when they send pressure? You know, you get a holding call on a second and 10. Now it's second and 20. You incomplete it. Now it's third and 20. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. He's little, man. It. I'm telling you, it's scared. I'll say this. It scares this. the bejesus out of me. He brings something to the table. I mean, he's not – they didn't Off get Off the him. charts, intelligence. They did not bring him in because he's he played at Alabama. He, they did not. They brought him in because when you test the guy's intelligence, his football IQ – Mental Leadership, processing. mental processing, quick decisions, he's, he's off the charts. He's, like, generational, all of that. But sooner or later, you got to play football. And playing football at the NFL level means it's a you're going to get squashed. It's and a risk. It's a risk. I mean, you got to be – it's a physical, hard game to play, and you're playing it with guys who are 
genetically different, and they play for keeps. And they don't care if you get thrown back or not. Um, yeah. We'll see. And I mean, there are a lot more. I don't know. I, I didn't want, I'm not going to tell you I watched every snap he played at Alabama. I'm not. So maybe he took some big shots at Alabama. Uh, you never see him, obviously, because they never put that on his highlight reel. But well, he got out of the pocket against Arkansas last year. Drew Sanders runs him all the way down to the sideline, and he just trips him by his ankle. He falls forward. He tries to still throw the ball. So, so while he's trying to throw with his right arm, his front of his left shoulder hits the ground awkwardly. He missed, he missed at least one game, maybe two. It's his non-throwing shoulder. He missed a game for that. Left that game. I mean, that's just falling on his face. Yeah, well, it's, it's, an, it's become trite to say it, but the best ability is availability. And Tua Atongavailoa has found that out. Uh, there have been other guys around. Sam Bradford found it out during his career. Chad Pennington, who was a really good player, found it out during his career. You just can't hang in there enough if you, if you can't withstand the physical toll it takes on your body. Maybe some guys get lucky. And not everybody's built like that, and they can still play a long time. But sooner or later, you're going to have to pay a physical price. And, some, and it seems to be, for a lot of guys, Andrew Luck is another great example. And those are, you know, Andrew Luck's a big, strong guy. Sam Bradford's a big, strong guy. And some guys are built for it. And yeah. some of them look like they're built for it, and they are not. So maybe, you know, there are guys who don't look like they're built for it and who are. Doug Flutie seemed to play and play well. At a small size. He knew how to avoid hits, though. I can't tell you how many times he's got a guy bearing down on him, and as he threw the football, he would fall away from the oncoming hit to reduce the blow. Yeah, and you roll with it. I mean, I I spent a whole career doing that exact thing, trying to mitigate contact when I wasn't expecting it or when I had no choice, you know. And there are certain techniques and things you can do as a smart player to roll with it. And – but you can't dictate it. No. You know, you can only mitigate. Well, I guess that's why two is learning how to fall this offseason. Maybe Bryce Young will join his fella, I told fellow you. Alabama alum and I, learn how to fall properly. I, yeah. I told you, we were laughing the other day. I go, you, you're, you really expect to have a good season as a Miami Dolphins fan. And this is the question we're asking today about the, the Bills-Dolphins rivalry. Yes. Dolphins fans – are counting on a really good season from a player who spent the entire season preparing to get his head caped in. <laughs> That's what he did. He trained to learn how to get his butt beat. That's what he did. That is not that is not optimal. It's not so I not positive. So I'm I'm I Bryce Young has a ways to go. Tua has a lot to prove, probably to himself and his family as much as anybody else, uh, from what we've heard. So we'll see. But that's, you know, that's the question we're asking today, actually. Yeah. As Steve mentioned, you know, we are kind of doing some Bill's Dolphins talk today. Want to have that conversation with you. We know the Dolphins played the Bills very close last year in both games. Granted, there were some extenuating circumstances All three in games. the first one. There was some snow in the second one late. And we know that the Dolphins had a third-string quarterback start for them in the playoff game. What do you believe would heighten the Bills-Dolphins rivalry 
this season. You can let us know at 803-0550, 1-888-550-2550, the number to get on board, or you can hit us up on the tweet sheet at One Bills Live. What do you think would ratchet up the dial of intensity on the Bills-Dolphins rivalry this season? Is it something somebody's got to say off the field to jack people up? You know, is it something that uh, has to happen in the regular season to, you know, increase the intensity should there be another postseason matchup? I mean, Steve and his teams went through this with the Dolphins for years um, as they were the two best teams in in the AFC East then. It says something that the teams met in the playoffs this last year. Mm-hmm. And they split the season series. And no, no matter what the circumstances were, all three games were one-possession games. Um, they were hard fought. Uh, does that is that enough sizzle for for Bills fans, or do they you know does the game have to mean something? What would spice it up for Bills fans? And that's it's basically the question. And I think you know really not much. I don't think. Yeah. Well. Well. Here's the other thing too. I think everybody can agree that the Bills-Patriots rivalry has gone away because the Patriots aren't what they used to be. And so while I think there is still scar tissue and genuine disdain because Belichick is still there, the rivalry is not what it was, and people in New England wouldn't have even called it a rivalry, what existed the 17 years prior, 18 years prior they would view that as outright domination. For Bills fans, it was a rivalry because we couldn't beat that dang team. Right. But now that's completely gone away, and I would say the Patriots are over here on the wayside. And the next most logical candidate, in light of how the last couple of seasons have gone, in terms of main AFC East rival, are the Dolphins. But what has to take that rivalry to the next level this year? You can let us know at 803-0550. 1-888-550-2550, the number to get on board, or hit us up on the tweet sheet at One Bills Live. Let's go to the phones, and I believe this is Robert in Asheville. What do you got for us, Robert? You're on One Bills Live. Hey, how you boys doing today? Good, good. Um, what happens at when the season starts and a team is not under the cap? What, what's the NFL do? Well, they have to be under the cap by the start of the league year, which is, you know, the opening of free agency. They have to have that done in March. Um, and then it's their top 51. So they can have 90 guys on the roster, but they got the top 51 have to be under the cap. Right. So if they're not under the cap, they start getting, I think, fined and draft picks taken away uh, until they are. Um, okay. But that's well, a good, now when you, that's a good question. Now, when you do get to the regular season, Robert, all the salaries count towards the salary cap, along with practice squad players, of which there are now 16. So they do have to jump through some more hoops as they get closer and closer to the regular season, and it's no longer the top 51 salaries that count against the cap. It's the whole roster. So there will be some accounting and maneuvering that teams will have to undergo there if they are tight against it now. Um but more often than not, teams plan for that all summer and have that kind of covered. So I hope that I, I hope that sufficiently yeah, answers. It's the a good question. question. I don't know if they're I don't know what the penalties are for being over the cap. Whether and I don't know how severe they get or if they're escalating the longer they go without being under the cap. So it's a good question. And um, 
I have to ask. I, I'm going to ask Brandon. We'll ask Brandon Bean then if if we get a chance. If the team goes over the salary cap, they're fined upwards of five million dollars for each violation. In more severe scenarios, draft picks can be confiscated. What's and what's, player contracts can be voided. Right. What's uh, what's every instance though? I mean, how many players? I mean, how do they? Going over the cap is like all fifty-three players. Which which instance would be a in, an instance? So if they found if they're found over the cap now, fine, it's a five, five million. million bucks. Yep. And they have and they have. What if they're twenty million dollars over the cap? They save the twenty million by not. You know what I mean? They have to. They don't pay any more out. Well, yeah, but now you now you're getting fined. Like some of that, you already got fined five million some, bucks. So that's what I'm saying. So you're over if you're over the cap twenty million, that's not necessarily twenty million out of your pocket. You know what I mean? Exactly. Oh, yeah, I get it. So why am I gonna pay five million? You know what I mean? So right. get under the cap, it, it behooves you. Believe me, the league has set this up in such a way sure. where it behooves every team in the league to get under. My 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 point would be this, and what I guess what I'm trying to ask, and I'm not doing a very good job. If you're over the cap, like now, if they if they pop over the cap, is that considered a single instance, and then they get back under. And what if somebody hits an escalator or whatever, and, you know, they're going to have to – somebody gets a bonus for being on the roster and it puts them over or whatever. Then I it's think another there are, instance. I think there are lever, levels of this violation. If you are barely over the cap and for some reason you didn't get under, there's an accounting error or your guy in accounting doesn't know what the hell he's doing, right, right. you get fined $5 million. If you're $10 million over – it's a blatant disregard for the rule. Like, what are you doing? Right. More severe. $5 million fine. First round draft pick. Draft pick confiscated. Right. And that guy that cost you $10 million that puts you over the cap, his contract's null and void. He's a free agent. Yeah. And right. you can't re-sign right. him. So, if that's the case, I can, I can get behind that. But that's, yeah. Because it's got to be really egregious. Not really egregious. It's got to be really... Um, they're the you rules. Know. Just follow them. Right. I mean, come That's on. What, what are we doing here? That's what I'm saying. The rules have to be really draconian. The executives in this league almost make to way be... too much money to not get that right. You've really got – I think those rules and those penalties have to be really draconian for somebody being over the cap. Yeah. Because that bookkeeping is not an excuse. Break time for us here. When we come back, we want to know from you, what would heighten the Bills-Dolphins rivalry in its current iteration this season? You give us your thoughts when we return. All phone calls all the time next. CJ in Buffalo, Rick in Brockport will lead us off when we return. Here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, back here on One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. And talking about the budding Bills-Dolphins rivalry and what it would take for you to take that rivalry to the next level. What has to happen either leading up to the season, during the season, another meeting in the postseason? What is it going to take for you to see this Bills-Dolphins rivalry at its peak? You let us know at 803-0550. Got an open line for you there. one 888 number to get on board. Let's go to CJ in Buffalo next. What do you got for us, CJ? You're on One Bills Live. Hey, Chris. Hey, Steve. Hey, uh... I just think we should advertise it and make it like a boxing match uh, because the only person that talks the most and is also our good luck charm is Jalen Ramsey. Uh, I believe he's 0-2 versus Josh Allen. 
Mm-hmm. And I would just I would just keep playing like to advertise this game, the clip of one Robert Foster going deep and Josh Allen being hit by several defensive linemen, and then the next play of him on the Rams where uh, Stephon Diggs catch the bomb over him, and then listen to his comments after each game of how it kind of changes from yeah that was a bad pick to uh, you know he's not really saying Josh Allen is good, but he's not saying he's bad either. He just won't comment on it pretty much. You know, he's an okay quarterback. Yeah, I mean, he's actually 0-3 now. I had forgot about the Jacksonville game. So he's 0-3 because the oh, wow. game that nobody saw here in 2020 in Week 3, they beat him with the Tyler Eifert touchdown at the end of the game, 35-32 also. And Steph Diggs caught a touchdown one-on-one against uh, yeah, Jalen at the Ramsey tunnel end zone. at the tunnel end zone. Too. And then he got beat over the top. Uh, on the chuck deep to Stefan in week one in the season kickoff game. He has not fared well against Stefan Diggs and Josh Allen. That's right. And in fairness, CJ, Jalen Ramsey finally broke down and gave it up after the week one loss when they got routed 31-10, to and he called him a top-five quarterback. So yeah. it, it took three straight defeats. <laughs> At the hands of Josh Allen, but Jalen Ramsey finally. And for those that don't know, he is going to be a starting corner for the Dolphins this year. That's why C.J. brings him up. They rung him up. In 2020, when nobody was watching, the Bills lit him up pretty good. They went after him, man Um, on man. man They went right after him, one-on-one, man on man with Steph Diggs, and Steph Diggs turned him into a – and corkscrewed him uh, and caught a touchdown. So, um, yeah, you're right. That's the kind of personality that can heighten a rivalry, though. That's exactly right. Jalen Ramsey, for all we've just said about how the Bills have – the guy can really play. He is really good. Now, he, you know, as a corner, you can only do so much when you have to cover for six seconds or whatever, what was going on with him in the Rams last year when Aaron Donald went down. The guy can really play. And to his credit or to his detriment, he knows it. And if you can, if you don't think he can play, just ask him. He'll tell you different. Uh, the guy can really, really go. He's incredibly gifted, but he he loves he loves the chatter and he's good at it. So uh, and yeah, so Stiggs. So it's you're right. I think you're right. I think you uh, one of the ways you heighten this rivalry is to get both teams talking about the other one because. Uh, it's fun to go and see him go out there and see who can back it up. Yeah. That is fun. That's a good I'm point. Cur- I am curious to see if he'll say anything this time around. He's 0 for 3. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. Is he smart enough to keep his mouth shut this time and just not say anything? Or does he want to – I don't think does so. Does he want to keep poking I, the bear? I, I think that's the way he does it. Uh, you know, he has no problem doing it because he's, you know – if you're going to talk like that in this at this level, sooner or later you're going to get humbled at some point. And it's happened to him a couple of times. But Three he's times. also But he's also been a guy who's been standing in the end zone with the ball in his hands. Yeah. You know, he's been going back the other direction with it too. So he knows it'll come around, and maybe he thinks he's going to be due this game. All right. You know, he's, it's, hard to, it's hard to dominate a guy entirely for their career, uh, no matter who you play for. But now they're going to be playing him twice a year. Mm-hmm. He's going to have a lot of chances – to uh, to back up that first thing he said about Josh Allen, he said he was trash yeah. back in 2020. Let's go to Dave and Clarence next. What do you got for us, Dave? Hey, uh, Brownie and Steve. Uh, I remember being at the game last year and uh, walking out of the stadium after uh, the game was over, 
And these Miami fans were chanting, we beat Buffalo, we beat Buffalo. It was like they had won the Super Bowl. So as far as the uh, rivalry heightened uh, is concerned, it's already heightened in, in, in uh, Miami. But as far as the Bills are concerned, what would heighten uh, this rivalry, probably take it to the zenith level, would be if the two teams started out on a parallel trajectory and uh, ended up, if, if possible, ending up in a virtual tie leading into that 18th week game yeah. uh, January 7th. I mean, no other game in the NFL schedule that day would matter. I mean, it, it would be winners take all. And so uh, I, I think the, if you will, believe it or not, undercurrent, there is a heightened uh, reality on both sides that this is a real, real uh, rivalry. Yeah, I'll hang up the- yeah, that's yeah, a right. that's a good point, Dave. You know, and the obviously the, the NFL schedule makers feel similarly. They have control as to how to lay this thing out. I don't think it's an accident that they chose to put Buffalo and Miami last in Week 18. I mean, if they felt better about the Jets, maybe it's Bills Jets in Week 18, hoping that's for the division title. They got the Jets playing the Patriots, so that's the choice the league consciously made. And yeah, if if that is on the line in Week 18, yeah, the rivalry goes through the roof instantly that week. That's the way it was um, way back in that when the, this rivalry has been very heated. Um, I remember it started in 1980 because up until that time, that rivalry wasn't a rivalry. The Bills were 0 for the 70s against the Dolphins. And then in the 80s, they beat them in the first game of 1980, early in the season, first matchup. So that, that monkey was off the back yep. of the Bills. And then because of the fact that the Miami Dolphins were so good and they were still really good and all of that, Bills fans, and plus the you know the city got a bad rap and the team had been struggling. So that was the team that they set their sights on to take out every year. And then when they get Jim Kelly, then when they get Dan Marino, the games took on a magnitude that transcended the hatred the fan bases had for each other. And I think that's the meaningfulness of the games is big. And it was – I remember multiple times we played the Miami Dolphins. Winner is going to win the division in the second meeting of that year. The winner is going to be the division champion. Yeah. And that is, I think, as as surefire a way as anything to heat up a rivalry. And, yeah, that's the way – that's how it was – that's how it became very heated when I played way back in the day. And that you look around the league at other rivalries that are heated, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, mm-hmm. it's always for the division. And that's, you know, so that's the most surefire way to heat up a rivalry. Let's go to George in Fort Erie next. What do you got for us, George? Hey, uh, love you. I love Steve Tasker. I just love you, Steve. <laughs> Thanks, man. Anyhow, anyhow uh, I, you know what? I think it's a rivalry, but I go to the Miami games down there and. Uh, they don't think it's a rivalry. They, we're not their rivals. New England is their rivals. You know what I'm saying? Like it's like it's like Montreal and Toronto. Toronto's not Montreal's rival. Boston is. But I, the only way to make it a, to restore the rivalry, and I agree with Steve what you just said. Back yeah, back then it was it was pretty uh, it was pretty heated in the 80s and uh, 90s. Remember we beat them we beat them at Miami in the AFC Championship as a wild yep. card. 
So, I mean, we have had, we have had, I think we've had really great success in the last 25 or 30 years against a team that hasn't won a Super Bowl in 52 years. I'm, I'm getting ticked off just talking about it. But anyhow, uh, <laughs> the, uh, my, my point is they don't see us at rivals, which, which ticks me off. Yeah. But if we, we, I'll tell you what, we start kicking their butt a few times, they might, they might forget New England and turn their sights on us. Well, I mean, there was a time where Josh Allen had won six st- straight against them, and that finally ended last year in week three in the uh, Sahara Desert game. So, you know, that, that finally ended, and that's why, as we heard uh, Dave and Clarence earlier say, they, they were like partying in the streets after that game in week three. Ah, oh, we beat Buffalo, we beat Buffalo, because they hadn't in six meetings. Right. Um, so so that was maybe a turning point for them to maybe look at Buffalo a little bit differently. Like, hey, maybe we can hang with these guys. And let, let's not kid ourselves. Josh Allen had to put a cape on in the second meeting here. I mean, they're down, and he orchestrates an unbelievable game-winning drive at the end of the game, setting up Tyler Bass for the game-winning field goal to win 32-29. I mean – they were on the they were on the ropes there. Yeah, late in that game. Yeah, they were they were uh you know, for all the reasons and all the things they had to come over in in uh this during the season um Josh Allen doing what you said, just carrying the team and the whole city on his back in that playoff game is really the reason. I'm talking about the regular season oh, game. Oh, the regular season game. Put his cape on on that last drive. It was like a 13 play drive. Yeah. That was a couple uh, of fourth downs. He won the game for them. They got a. I'm, he was the difference. He has got to be the. I don't know what do you call it. The arch enemy of Dolphin fans. Josh Allen absolutely just slaps the Dolphins when he plays them. Uh, if he can't get it done, it's because nobody does anything else on our. There was know, a stretch even, we were calling it the "Who's Your Daddy" game. Yeah, that's exactly right, and and it and it really still is because if the Bills win, he just absolutely ropes them. He, and I mean, he just he's throwing haymakers at him. Um, he's the best player on the field by far. Fifteen play, eighty-six yard drive to end the game at the gun with a twenty-five yard field goal, and he was responsible for that drive in every way, shape, or form. He put his cape on and was Superman to beat the Dolphins. My point is, the Dolphins aren't far off. Like, Josh had to do some superhuman stuff at home to beat that team. Yeah, that's right. The division, yeah. They're a good team. The Dolphins are a good team, particularly when they're really healthy and two is playing. And that's because of the the way their offense is structured. Um, It's going to be – I think it's really a good rivalry the way it is now. I mean, it is. The Bills, they split in the regular season last year, and the Bills beat them in, at home in the playoffs by three. I think it's a really good rivalry the way it is right now. But bigger games make for bigger rivalries. We have to take a break here. Phil in North Tonawanda will lead us off when we return. How do you heighten the Bills-Dolphins rivalry even more? Give us your thoughts. Maybe it's somebody saying something off the field. Maybe it's something that happens on the field. But you let us know at 803-0550. We're back with your calls next. All right, going to jump right back to the phones as we're looking for answers from you as to how to heighten the Bills-Dolphins rivalry even further after a split 
of the season series last year in a three-point playoff game in the wild card round last playoff period. Uh, we lead off with Phil in North Tonawanda as promised. What do you got for us, Phil? Thanks for taking my call, guys. Sure. Um, you don't have to hide it anymore for us guys that have been around for a long time. I, this is my 35th year as a season ticket holder, and for the previous 34 years, I didn't care if we went 2-14 and 14 as long as we beat the Dolphins twice. Okay, <laughs> so um, the rivalry will always be there for me. The, the thing about the Miami people is that, they, like you said, Josh owns them right now, and I don't need anything heightened because I, it's my favorite game to go to. I, my best game ever was the Houston comeback game, and every other time we spanked Miami. You know, uh, back when Jim Kelly won that game, I was a little kid when uh, when the Dolphins used to beat us all the time. And then when Kelly finally dove in an end zone against Miami that one time, I don't think I ever felt any better. You know what I'm saying? So the Miami rivalry doesn't need heightened for the old people. The young people don't understand. They, did, they, did, they, did, they didn't live through those days when Miami dominated us. And yeah. um, they're, they're New England. It's New England for the young generation. Like Steve was trying to say, you know, the rivalry is good and bad from before. But it's kind of generational, you know, for the old guys. It's Miami was a rival. For the young guys, it's New England is our rival. Yep. But as right. the division game, as long as that's for the division at the end of the year, I mean, I want to go to Miami. I'm thinking about going. January 7th sounds like a good time to visit Miami. Yeah, <laughs> right. 18. Yeah, that's I mean, right. that, you, you're, and I appreciate you, Phil, that you're one of the guys. We've got another guy on our – we may read this later in the tweet sheet, but I'll read it now. He's like you. He says, there's nothing that could – that could heat up the Miami Buffalo rivalry. I have currently, I currently do and will hate them as much with as much vitriol and passion as humanly possible until the day that I leave this glorious earth. So there are certain people like Phil and like this guy, Daryl unchanging who will, will always have a hate filled passion for the dolphins. So, um, there's a lot in it. I've got a, one of my close friends here in town to this very day. I, I find guy, a, if we're playing golf, I find people a dollar for bringing it up. He saw Dick Duran on the day of a Miami game at like 5 a.m. I mean, it's like day, barely daybreak. Duran goes out to unwind, plays quick nine holes before home games because that's the only time. So Duran's playing golf, and he sees him before a Miami game at 1 o'clock. You know, it's 5 a.m. Nobody's, you know. Mm -hmm. And to this very day, he that is why Dick Duran is a horrific football coach because he didn't take that rivalry seriously that's his, that's his contention, your that's friend's contention. contention? My friend's contention is that Dick Duran, you knew he was a loser when he wow. when he didn't take the Miami Dolphins rivalry as seriously as my friend did. Okay. All right, I get it. I mean, that's it's. There is a generation of people. Mm -hmm. That's it, man. That is the rivalry. Yep. Back to the phones into Riley and Jamestown. What do you got, Riley? Hey guys, thanks for taking my call. Sure. So, I, I mean, if you were to take pick one player on the Bills and pick their any any one player and pick the biggest rival they have, I think the biggest duo rivalry, you know, player to player that currently exists on our team is Stefan Diggs and Jalen Ramsey. And I think him coming over to Miami, it's just going to ramp up. I mean, that's going to – that whole – those two are going to be going at it constantly, twice a year now. 
Um, and I think I think that's going to add a little chippiness to the rivalry. And, and then with social media being what it is, Twitter is Twitter is a really interesting beast. And it's, it seems like nowadays you can't you can't get see uh, Bill's post, whether it's by the team, social media, or any of you guys, anything, and it doesn't instantly get run over by Miami fans talking about Josh Allen and talking about the. The, the Sun game and all that stuff. I, I, I think the rivalry is here, and I think it's, it's self-providing. It's, it, it, it carries itself just by existing and just by playing them every year. I don't think that anything needs to change. I think it's already happening. I mean, now that they're the, you know, the, they're the second-best team in the division, I mean, it's only rightfully so. And I think one of the things that really helped it in the last two years is the fact that Miami finally got their guy. They tanked for Tua, and they got him. So there's going to be that segment of Miami fans that are going to say, our guy against your guy, we got our guy, we're going to be good. You got your guy, you're going to be bad. You know, here we go, and we're going to prove it. Um, there isn't really a thing like, you know, we don't have Kyle Orton playing Tom Brady, you know. Um, Two is a historic figure because he was a very high draft pick, and he was anointed and brought in, and he took over. That's his team. And so it's Jim Kelly and Dan Marino. You know, it's John Elway and, and Dan Fouts. You know, it's, it's those kind of stars and, and iconic names for the franchise that make a difference. And Tua and Josh are two names like that, And aside from Jalen Ramsey and Steph Diggs. But stars make it. Oh, they help. No question yeah. about it. We got to take a break here, but we begin hour number two when we return with NFL Dolphins writer for Sports Illustrated, Alan Pupar. He's going to help us out with some of the roster construction the Dolphins undertook this offseason, where they are considerably stronger and where they might still be a little bit vulnerable. We'll catch up with him next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, here we are, hour number two on a Thursday. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you, and pleased to be joined now by a guy who's been covering the Dolphins for quite a long time. It's uh, NFL Dolphins writer for Sports Illustrated, Alan Pupar, joining us on the show, friend of the show, and uh, good to have you with us, Alan. Hopefully you're enjoying what's uh, about to be a little bit of an off-season coming up here with some summer on the horizon, but... Uh, there are still some things we wonder about with the Dolphins offseason construction, so that's why you're here. Thanks for uh, giving us some time. Uh, I have to begin right out of the gate with offensive tackle. We know that, you know, Teron Armstead was playing with half a body last year and gutted his way through it. Austin Jackson also injured and, for the most part, a disappointment uh, in his time in a Dolphins uniform as a former first-round draft choice. Have the Dolphins done enough through the course of this offseason at offensive tackle? 
to be better up front for Tua? Uh, first off, hi, fellas. Uh, yeah, that's that's a very good question, and it's one that I think Dolphin fans are not particularly thrilled with the answer so far. The Dolphins just this week signed Isaiah Wynn, former first-round pick of the Patriots. Mm-hmm. Cedric Agboehi, I believe is how you pronounce his last name. I call him Cedric O to make it simple. Former first-round pick of the Bengals. And those guys will add depth. They add some position versatility, and they will add competition in case Austin Jackson proves he can't get the job done at right tackle. Because GM Chris Greer told us, I don't know, I want to say about a month ago, that Austin Jackson was the guy who was their starting tackle. As you mentioned, his career has not gotten off to a great start. 2020 first-round pick, 18th overall selection. They moved him to right tackle last uh, offseason, see if he could get the job done there after they had signed Teron Armstead to play the left side. Never really got a chance to show what he could do because in the opener, he sustained a uh, high ankle sprain. Was out for about nine weeks, comes back, boom, first game he's back, injured again, and he was done for the year. So the truth is, we don't know what the Dolphins have in Austin Jackson at right tackle. Based on his body of work, what he's what he did at left tackle and at left guard, there's reason to be concerned. And there's also reason to be concerned that maybe is it enough that they sign Isaiah Wynn and Cedric O uh, as fallback options in case training camp arrives and the Dolphin coaches look at Austin Jackson and go, uh-oh. The guy's not going to get it done. On the other side, Teron Armstead, look, fabulous player. Uh, the reality is he's never played a full season in the NFL. That was the case last year. He gutted it out, as you mentioned. I mean, it was the body parts kept adding up on the injury report every week. It started with, I can't even remember, there's too many of them. Toe, knee, peck. I mean, you name it, he had it at one point or another. But when he was on the field, for the most part, he was great. But he's a guy, he's not getting any younger. He's 33, 34. So you have to knock on wood. He stays healthy. Uh, because if he doesn't, there are concerns. And there's an issue at left at guard, too. And, and, and you didn't ask me that, but I'm going to volunteer it anyway. Uh, in that they have an unproven guy there as well. And Liam Eikenberg, the second-round pick out of Notre Dame in 2021. He gets hurt a lot, too. To... Correct. And last year, and the coaches kept telling us, at the time he got hurt, he got hurt in the Detroit game, which was early November, I want to say, or very late October. The coaches kept saying that he was playing his best football of the season. Well, early on, it wasn't impressive, his, his, his work. Um, and it did look from us that he was making some progress, but the coaches were ranting and raving about how well he was he was progressing. Now he's starting from scratch, and that's another question mark on an offensive line that absolutely has to be good. The Dolphins have those that phenomenal speed outside with Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddell with which they can do a lot of great things. And then Tua last year when he was in the lineup for the most part until late in the season was doing a really good job of getting the ball to those guys, letting them do their thing. But the offensive line is still a, a an area of concern at this point. Well, and you look at the offensive line that and the other people around Tua and you start with, you know, we were talking just before we came on the air, they took, uh, Devon A. Chain in the draft running back. He's a small, smallish running back, very fast out of Texas A&M. They're getting even faster uh, further down their roster. Uh, and then they've got Miles Gaskin, Raheem Mostert. They re-signed Jeff Wilson, Chris Brooks. What about the running game, uh, the running backs, and how they will fit into you know that passing game that's so much built on timing and quick release? Correct. And then one of the things, Mike, me, <clears throat> one of the things Mike McDaniel said after this scene at the owners' meeting specifically 
when it came to the running in the Dolphins ranked like in the bottom third in the NFL in, ru in rushing yards per game. But Mike McDaniel bemoaned the fact that he didn't stick with the running game long enough in certain instances where the running game was being productive. But it, it, let's face it, it's very easy to get caught up in the excitement of, of trying to drum up ideas and plays for Hill and Waddle. And now adding Davon Etchain, uh, I don't think they added him for the running game. They added him for what he right. can do in space and another option in the passing game. And uh, the guys, they re-signed everybody. They, all four of their running backs were free agents heading into the offseason. They re-signed all four of them, Mostert, Wilson, Ahmed, and Miles Gaskin, which tells you obviously there was a level of comfort there from head coach Mike McDaniel about what he had. A chain felt almost like, I hate to use the term, but almost like a toy, like a gadget for Mike McDaniel to play with on offense and create more things. But the offensive line, and, and, and the other thing about the running game is the yards per carry average was very good. Uh, I mean, Mostert and... Uh, Jeff Wilson were both in the high 4.9s, if not higher, if not low five. So that's really, really good. But there were times when they couldn't produce in short yardage situations. There were times when Mike McDaniel went away from the running game on third and one. They passed way too much on third and one, and their success rate wasn't necessarily that great. So for the running game, it's going to become an, an idea of sticking to it a little bit more. And remember, Mike McDaniel came to the Dolphins from San Francisco with right. a reputation as a quote-unquote running game guru. Well, he got to Miami, all of a sudden, the possibility of trading for Tyreek Hill happened. And all of a sudden, Mike McDaniel's like, oh, whoa, whoa, time out here. Think of the things I can do. I mean, there's no, no team's ever had a wide receiver tandem with that kind of speed. So it's difficult to blame him from veering more from the running game to the passing game. But I think they need a little bit better balance uh, running game, passing game in 2023. Yeah, that, right. That's why I was surprised with the A-chain pick because it struck yeah. me as a luxury pick in round three when you only had four picks to work with and you needed help at offensive tackle. Like, that one really baffled me. Um, but I'll move on. I'm not going to keep banging that drum. Uh, I know linebacker defensively was a position of concern, a lack of speed at that position. So they go out in free agency and they add David Long from Tennessee how much of an upgrade would you call that at the linebacker position, second level of the defense for Miami? For what they want to do with Vic Vangio's defense, with calls on more coverage duties for the linebackers, it's a massive upgrade because the guy he replaces is Landon Roberts, who is a leader, who's a thumper, who's very good against the run, who actually had a very good year doing what he was asked to do last year, but who's not a coverage guy, who's a major liability in coverage. But even with David Long Jr., the problem with him is you look, he's got a history of, uh, I think it's hamstring issues. He yep. missed 12 games combined the last two years. I think the last five, two years ago, last seven last year, or vice versa, to the point where he was called out by Tennessee coach Mike Vrabel after the season, uh, expressing his frustration about certain guys on the team have to take better care of their bodies. Um, if he stays on the field, it's a massive, massive upgrade, and it does fill a, fill a need that the Dolphins had for their defense, specifically for what Vic Fangio wants to do. Again, the question, and that's the cloud. And unfortunately for the Dolphins, it's a recurring theme at several key positions on the roster, starting with the quarterback. There's an injury cloud, and I understand that every team goes into a season where their fortunes ultimately could be determined by key injuries, except it's not ideal to go into the season where you have a lot of guys at key positions who have that injury history 
Tua, Teron Armstead, David Long Jr. I just mentioned Bradley Chubb. Um, so that's a little bit concerning. But to answer your question in a long-winded way, David Long Jr., if he stays on the field, is a massive upgrade at inside linebacker for the Dolphins. Well, you mentioned Vic Fangio just hired this offseason, one of the best, one of the most respected defensive minds in the NFL. Has he said anything to give you any indication about what he thinks of the roster, what his plan is? Um, what has been any rhetoric coming out of the defensive side of the coach's office? No, we hadn't gotten anything. We we spoke to him not long after he was hired, and at that point, he hadn't. He was in a wait and see mode in terms of evaluating the roster. Even in fact, of he was telling us, "I don't know yet exactly what I want to do with the defense because I have to see what those guys do best." Uh, and we haven't spoken to him since. So um, I'm going to guess he probably sees the same things that we do. There's a lot of high end talent. There are high end potential. Jalen Ramsey, who they got from the Ram, Xavier Howard, Jalen Phillips, Bradley Chubb, uh, Christian Wilkins. So the expectations are very given. Given Vic Fangio's credentials and the high-end talent, there are a lot of expectations for this defense to take a massive jump after it ranked, I believe, numbers 23rd in total defense last year. How much, how much different will it look? How much of a learning curve do you anticipate it will be for the players on that side of the ball from what they had ran previously under Boyer? I, I think they'll be fine. I, I, what you're going to see as, as a big difference, I think it's pretty safe to say, is two things. Number one is going to be a lot less blitzing, which was a calling card of the Josh Boyer right. defense, Brian Flores before that. And you're going to see less man coverage and more zone coverage. And which very well could play into the strength. I mean, they have the potential to have a really nasty secondary with Ramsey Howard and then Javon Holland, who has shown signs of being a, a, a future star, was kind of bogged down maybe last year by what was going on on defense around them, but the potential is there. So I, I think those are the two main differences. You're going to see less blitzing, you're going to see more zone coverage. We also heard around the league, uh, particularly in New York with Quinn and Williams wanting an extension. Christian Wilkins is also in Miami. Um, who is has played extremely well for the franchise. What is the latest on him and his situation with a new contract? Yeah, I, I, I kind of get the feeling, and I was the opinion early on in, in the offseason that they're going to get something done. They need to, mind you, he's under contract for 2023 on his fifth-year option at 10.7 mil, and the more the offseason has gone on, the more I, I kind of lean toward the Dolphins taking a wait-and-see approach, making sure he's a great fit for this defense, which kind of requires the, the defensive lineman to get, get more of a push uh, in the pass rush, and that's not necessarily what Christian Wilkins did in the previous defense. He was more asked, you know, with the running game, and he was great at it. I mean, he had a great year last year. He was very noticeable in a lot of games. But he's not a great pass rusher. And the only the other thing that doesn't help is exactly how much money is Wilkins via his agent gonna want. And it's not helping any anything that there are a lot of young, high-end defensive tackles who have gotten big contracts this offseason with Quinn and Williams next in line. We're looking at Jeffrey Simmons, Dexter Lawrence, Deron Payne, uh, who got paid, and all those guys are better pass rushers than Christian Wilkins. So I kind of get the feeling that maybe the Dolphins are going to want to sit tight for a little bit, see what happens before, you know, they, they make a big push to get him re-signed, or they could go into the next offseason, 
try to get something done then, and then they have the option of using the franchise tag. How do you see the receiver pecking order shaking out behind Waddle and Hill? You've got Cedric Wilson there now, Braxton Berrios, formerly known as Robbie Anderson, Chosen Anderson is there. And then you had two younger role players who were kind of making a name for themselves, more River Craycraft more so than Eric Ezukanma. But those are two guys in the pipeline that I at least got the sense that they had hopes for. And now I don't know if there's room for them. How does this pecking order work? That's a great question. That's a fabulous question. Um, yeah, there, there is no clear-cut number three. And mind you, the, the guy who was the third option last year was Trent Sherfield, right. who you guys signed in the offseason. And guess what? He wasn't the third option at this time last year. It was going to be Cedric Wilson. Cedric Wilson actually was signed to be a number two last offseason. Um when he came over from Dallas, but again, as with everything else with the offense, that was before the opportunity to get Tyreek Hill surfaced. Once the Dolphins got Tyreek Hill, well, Cedric Wilson became kind of a forgotten guy. Then he became involved in the battle for the number three spot, and Sherfield clearly outplayed him. And the only, I'm going to be honest with you, the only reason Cedric Wilson might even might be on the roster is because he's guaranteed $6 million in 2023. I think in an ideal scenario, since the Dolphins are not cutting him, and eating that money, he would emerge through the offseason and training camp as the third guy. But Braxton Berrios is a very good slot receiver with some yak ability. Robbie Anderson, Chosen Anderson, Robbie Chosen uh, gives another deep threat element to this offense where they can line him up outside and then use either Hill or Waddle in the slot as they did at times last year. My best guess at this point, I think the four guys who Probably figure to get the most snaps. Obviously, he'll waddle in after the would be Barrios and, and Anderson slash chosen. Eric Azukama is a guy, fourth round pick from Texas Tech last year, looked really, really good in camp and in the preseason. And then the regular season arrived and he was inactive the entire year except for one game. And he was being passed by guys who were elevated from the practice squad to appear in games, including rookie free agent Braylon Sanders. So and the word from uh, wide receivers coach Wes Welker was an issue of learning everything, every position that wide receiver in the offense. If he doesn't kind of take a big step in his second year and become something of a factor, that would be that would be very frustrating for the Dolphins and their coaches, I would imagine. Uh, let's talk a little bit before we let you go. I just want a last question about the tight ends. Of course, um, uh, Gesicki's not there anymore. Is it Durham Smythe and a bunch of guys? I know they just signed Tyler Croft, who's got who maybe has the most chops of anybody else on the roster. Well, what do you think they're going to do there? Well, I think it's going to be Durham Smythe who's going to get the most snaps. But I, I have made this statement before, and I'm going to stick by. I don't think there's a team in the NFL that needs major contributions from its tight ends less than the Dolphins because of all the speed they have everywhere everywhere else. They don't need a tight end to catch 70 passes, whatever. Durham Smythe might wind up with 32 catches for 373 yards and three touchdowns. And if he does, if he gets them a, a clutch catch here and there to convert a third down or in the red zone and does the job blocking, you know, that, that'd be even better. But um, it's Durham Smythe is going to get the most opportunities. You're going to see a little bit of Eric Saubert, who they signed as a free agent from Denver, Tyler Croft, perhaps they uh, drafted Elijah Higgins 
who was a wide receiver at Stanford with the idea of converting him to a tight end. I can't, I'm not expecting major contributions from him as a rookie. Um, but again, to me, the tight end is not a major factor in this offense. Do you think even with, you know, the San Fran run scheme that the Dolphins this year with all that speed of receiver that you referenced could lean a little more heavily towards 10 personnel this year? I mean, I'm not saying that's going to be their number one personnel grouping, but could you see them drifting in that direction a little bit more, or does the San Fran run game principles predicate predicate putting a tight end on the field most of the time? Possibly. I mean, I I have a hard time. Here, here's the thing is, and especially had the Dolphins not drafted a chain, I think I'd have been, I'd have been, I might have been more inclined to believe that there would be more of a focus toward the running game. I think once you draft him, it almost tells me that Mike McDaniel is going to just come up with even more, more permutations for the passing game with an, with another toy. I mean, the things he can do on, he can have Hill Waddle, Raheem Mostert, who's like crazy fast and a chain on the field at the same time. And, you know, have Tua get rid of the ball very, very quickly. And, you know, and then they, they can create create all sorts of havoc for defenses. So uh, so you think you think they use more running backs? You think the drafting of A-Chain really says more about their passing game than it does about their running game, even though he's a running back? I do. Uh, because... Yeah, I, 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 as you mentioned before, th- th- that that was a luxury pick. I mean, right. Um, and then the, the the weird part too is there are like rumblings all over the place of Dalvin Cook. What happens if he gets released by the Vikings? I mean, he's from Miami. The Dolphins are going to go get him, and at some point, it's like, okay, how many different running backs do you need? Especially when you don't feature the running backs. And I don't know. That my my gut feeling is that again, Mike McDaniel realizes he's got such a unique uh, setup on offense with those two guys outside. And for what the first 11 games of the season, defenses, defenses had no clue how to stop. How often did we see Hill and Waddle running wide open 15, 20 yards down the middle of the field? I mean, wide open because defenses were so scared of that speed and they haven't gotten any slower. So I still would expect it to be a very pass-oriented offense. Alan, thanks as always. We appreciate you bringing us up to speed. We'll catch up with you uh, probably before the season. So enjoy your summer, my man. All right, take care. Sounds good. Be looking forward to it. All right, that's Alan Alan Pupar, NFL Dolphins writer for Sports Illustrated, joining us. That's an interesting discussion to have. It's almost as if, Steve, Mike McDaniel and – their GM, Chris Greer, said the best pass protect, the best way to offer pass protection to Tua is to give him another weapon to get the ball out of his hand. It's almost like Devon A-Chain is going to be pass protection in the form of getting open immediately. And it's so also, Tua can throw it. And you look, you transpose what the Dolphins are doing into, a tr- into what the Bills are doing, into what uh, the Chiefs have done, uh, into what even the Cincinnati Bengals, to a certain extent, have started to do. We talk about it on the defensive side all the time, positionless football. They want to get running backs who can play wide receiver. 
the Bills want to get tight ends who can play wide receiver or catch like a wide receiver. And you want wide receivers who can line up anywhere and run after catching who are big-bodied kind of, but fast, right? You want to get speed. So it's, it's a point where you want to get the, the best pass-catching, route-running guys who have the biggest variety of skill sets on the field. And then line them up wherever you want. Everybody's trying to do that. The Dolphins are doing it yeah. by drafting a running back on top of the speed running backs they already have. The Bills are doing it by getting a tight end who can run routes like a wide out. Uh, Patriots did the same thing. They got Gesicki from Miami. He's a guy that can run routes like a wide out, but he's a big body, 6'5 guy. Um, the Bills are drafting Shorter, who's a 6'4. I was watching him today. The guy looks like a stallion out there. He's huge. Uh, big knee bend, I mean, knee, you know, knee lift. It's unbelievable. So everybody's trying to get to this point where they can throw out their 10, 12, 13, 11 personnel, but it's all the same offense. And whichever guy gets a matchup that you can exploit, that's where you go to. And it becomes a an individual game in the in the context of the positionless football. Yeah, and when you think about the speed, too, just envision this for a second. They line up Tyreek for a jet sweep off the snap, and then they got A-chain on the other side of the formation, and they reverse it. Like, as soon as you see Tyreek going, you're automatically cheating to that side you're as a defender of because of that speed. You're trying to make sure you have an angle and then all of a sudden the ball is going the other way with a guy running a four three two. That's just that's fast as well. Yeah, you're right. That's that's a problem. It's it is a real problem. And that's just at the line of scrimmage. Forget about down the field. Right. Forget about the corners of the end zone when you're sixty, you know, you're sixty yards away. That's that's what you're trying to do as an offense. And and the Dolphins, you know, becomes obvious what they're you know, what they're gonna try and use yeah, as they leverage. They want to turn it into a track. Meet. They want to try and leverage their roster into making it something you can't keep up with. I still worry about the protection, though. I mean, all I hear in my head is Coach McDermott saying it starts up front, it starts up front, and they have not done enough up front, in my estimation. They Look, they tried to fortify it with veterans. You know, they right. get Dan Feeney they, from the Jets. They got some guys. Isaiah Wynn. Like, Dan Feeney's a backup in this league. Isaiah Wynn has been a colossal disappointment as a first-round draft choice. I mean, he was so bad, he was on the bench – for guys that were like six-round picks, Marcus Cannon was starting over him in New England at right tackle, and then they brought Trent Brown back to play left tackle. They, they were so disappointed in Isaiah Wynn, and then they tried him at guard, and that didn't work either. And they finally threw him overboard. They gave up on a first-round pick after four years, and now Miami's going to pick him up as veteran insurance behind Austin Jackson in case he's not the guy either. So you might replace one first-round disappointment with another. I mean, they've got they've got guys, and they're they're like they're like the Bills a little bit. They they're grabbing a whole ton of guys. Yeah, veterans on one year deals. They got six, seven, eight guys listed on their roster right now. I just thought it was a luxury pick, that and I see alone. I see the logic in a chain. Add more speed on the field, more dimensions to your off, but you got to have guys that are going to allow Tua to hold on to the ball for at least a couple of seconds. Well, what have we said? Everybody faces a third and 20 at some point. Yeah. It, I'm telling you, man. And look, it doesn't bother me. That's, that, that's, that's not the team I'm rooting for. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but don't come crying to me when two is out in week six for a month. Because that, that train's coming. I'm telling you, it's coming. He, there is no way with this offensive line 
and Mike McDaniel's genius brain that they're going to be able to avoid injury with that guy. There has been some stuff going around as well. You know, our, our boy Dan uh, Orlovsky, Phil Sim, or Chris Sims, um, guys talking about breaking down Miami's philosophy offensively. What happens is on play action stuff, and this is, you know, McDaniel, they leave some guys on the backside unblocked knowing that the influence of the play action is going to keep them from getting a free shot on Tua. That's a risky business. And the ball has to come out. That's right. And that was their point as well. It's, it's sound to a point until they've seen it too many times on film or in the game itself, and you go to it one too many times, and you're, you know, your quarterback is a, is a puddle. That's why I'm just – I was really surprised they didn't address offensive line in the draft. They had four picks. Only okay, four. Maybe, maybe you know, the value doesn't line up in round two. You take the corner, fine. You know, okay. Come around to round three, it's like, okay, it, it's time now. Like, you got to do something. Right. And they did nothing at the tackle position. So – Yeah, the Bills – and I'm not saying anything about anything because I don't know anything. <laughs> but I'm saying what I see. Bills always draft big dudes with traits. Osiris Torrance. Well, Devon Greg a Rousseau. Devon A-Chain's got traits. He's just not big. Well, he has one trait. Yeah. He's fast. But the Bills draft big dudes high in the draft. You know, Spencer Brown, Tommy Sweeney. Dawson Knox was a, a, a big dude with some traits. You, know, you go down the list. I mean, that's Rousseau, Epinesa, Basham. They're they're dudes that you can measure. Yeah, Ed Oliver's the only exception. Ed Oliver's the exception, and even now, and now that may reinforce my point in drafts going forward, mm-hmm. because they did not, you know, they're not standing in line to extend Ed Oliver, at least not yet. So I'm. They some teams do and some teams don't. The Bills have always grabbed guys that yeah. you can't find standing on a street corner. So you got guys like me and you, Brownie. They're they're five nine guys everywhere. There are five eight hundred eighty eight pound athletes everywhere in every sport. You don't find six five three thirty guys <laughs> playing tennis. Yeah, <laughs> playing tennis. That's a great image. You know? Yeah, I get it. All right, we got to take a break here. We'll get to the tweet sheet when we return. What do you think heightens the Bills-Dolphins rivalry going forward? You can let us know on the phones at 803-0550, but we're going to crack open the tweet sheet next here on One Bills Live. Stay tuned. Okay, back here on One Bills Live, Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. And we are going to hit the tweet sheet, Steve. It's time to hit it. Let's go! Haven't gotten there yet. What would heighten the Bills-Dolphins rivalry this season? Tweet sheet is always brought to you by Corrigan Moving Systems, the official equipment moving company of the Buffalo Bills. And we lead off with some guy. Yeah, that's his Twitter handle. Says, both teams staying 100% healthy, having normal, acceptable weather, Going one and one and then playing a third time 
in the playoffs. That's what happened last year, except for the, the weather. Exception part of, of it. the weather. Yeah, yeah. that's uh, you're right. That's playing in the playoffs in the, with a division opponent heats it up quick. Big games make rivalries. Think about weather the Bills. should be think less. Of, think about the Bills and the Chiefs. Yeah. Weather should be less of an issue this year because Dolphins are up here early. Bills are down there late. So weather should not be an Later issue. Later than late. Week 18. Yeah. As late as you can get. Travis on the tweet sheet says, already happened. Allen versus Ramsey now in a Dolphins uniform. Yeah. That, that acquisition by the Dolphins is not lost on Bills fans. They don't forget. They got memories of elephants. They don't forget <laughs> what people say, man. Um, Chase this says, Dalvin Cook to the Dolphins. That's now, we just had Alan Pupar yeah. on, the Dolphins beat reporter for SI, and he was saying there is talk down there that if Dalvin Cook is released by the Vikings as a cap casualty, that the Dolphins could be interested. I want to know where they're getting the money from. Like, they didn't have a lot of money under the cap to begin with. They're going to have to start lopping people off if they're going to sign that guy. Yeah, um, he could. I mean, but then could, the Cook versus Cook, brother versus right, brother right, right. thing. You could lop Mostert and a couple Jeff of Wilson. Jeff Wilson off the lot roster and keep Dalvin. Uh, Dalvin replaces two and a half guys. Yeah, two and a half of those guys, I would think. Yeah. Garvey on the tweet sheet says, Trent Sherfield having a breakout game against his former team. Have to think Allen will be targeting him in that first game. More Allen Wilkins banter, too. Let's not forget oh, that. Yeah, let's not forget that little. The little, little brouhaha little, at the little, bottom of the pile at the end lovers, of the play. That little lover's quarrel, too, when Josh threw the one, the tipped interception, and. and they were and it ended shoving up, each other. And I and loved it, too. Mitch, Mitch Morris and Spencer Brown Mitch came Morris in. The, the Cavalry showed up. <laughs> I'll never forget Mitch Morse's wife tweeted after that happened. She tweeted a, the footage of right. She goes, "I would hope he would come to my defense in a similar situation, <laughs> right? In this fashion, in this fashion." It was a great tweet <laughs> by Mrs. Morse. It was great. I laughed out loud when I saw that. Uh, from Capazzi, uh, he says, or she says, if they put hot coals on the visitor side of the field in Miami, yeah, we know what that's in reference to. Right. That was ridiculous last year. I'm sorry. Um, Mike on the tweet sheet says, Dolphins have the second most difficult schedule. They could easily be 0-3 coming to Buffalo in week four. Battling for the number one seed in week 18 would catapult this rivalry into the stratosphere. Good word. Hopefully our Bills will have it locked up by then, making that game all but moot. Yeah, it is. It's a tough schedule for the entire division this year. Yeah. But the way it lines up for Miami at the front, woo! Oof. That's tough. Yeah, it is tough. It is tough. Miami, we'll just, I'll just say it again. The first month of the season for the Miami Dolphins, there you have it. Chargers, Patriots. Those are both on the road, by the way. Right, Chargers first and Patriots. First two on the away. road. Broncos and Bills. Chargers, Patriots, Broncos, and Bills for the Dolphins. It's two roadies early. Chargers off week one when they're healthy with that roster, they're gonna that's gonna be a dogfight. The Patriots game. are always problems, particularly in Foxborough. But they have Broncos, these little maybe we'll see. Yeah, but they have these spurts of tough games. Like Oof. you know, you got at Eagles home against the Patriots. All right, you should win that at Chiefs. You know, and then. 
later on. Look at their last four games. Jets, Cowboys, home against Ravens, the Jets, Bills. Home against the Cowboys, at the Ravens, home against the Bills. That is a tough way to close. Yeah, like if they don't, afford home, if they still. haven't afforded themselves a margin for error coming down the stretch there, like if they're if they're six and six, having the heading Bills, into the last five yeah, games, of having the, season, the Bills Chargers in the first four games, uh, both on the road. Yeah, three of their first four are on the road. Yeah, that's rough. Um, three of their last four are at home, but they're against really tough competition. Right. So that's we'll see. Um, they could be. I doubt that. The, I do not think they will be 0-3 coming into Buffalo in week four. But they could. Bill's News Consolidated says MVP chatter between Josh and Tua. Yeah, think about that. Because here's the that, th- would re- that would re- that would basically be a reprise of Marino Kelly in, in some way. It, think about high-profile quarterbacks. How, is what I know, I mean. We know how the teammates feel about Josh. I mean, they're all they they love they take a bullet for the guy. I mean, they just love him. Two the same thing down there, and to have those two at the top of the MVP chatter going into Week 18 with and the teams would be really trying to get it for their guy, right? Yeah, that would heat it up. Yeah. And fans would be absolutely frothing at the mouth. Joel on the tweet sheet says, live dolphin fights a live buffalo, parentheses bison, at the 50-yard line before the national anthem. A fair depth of water would, of course, need to be agreed upon before the contestants were set on one another. I'm thinking two to two and a half feet of water <laughs> oh is fair. God. We how did that get on the tweet sheet? Somehow we come on. We've turned this rivalry into a circus. What are we what are we doing out there, guys? Joel. Get your head on straight. That's right. Although that's very entertaining. Yeah, I enjoyed that. There's the the last one is the one I read from Daryl. Yeah. Nothing I have, currently do, and will hate them with as much vitriol and passion as humanly possible till the day that I leave this glorious earth. There are people out there. The vitriol is thick. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to take a break here, but when we come back, a final thought on the tweet sheet. Is there a potentially new villain besides Jalen Ramsey that could ignite this rivalry? We'll, uh, we'll pose that question next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, some final thoughts on the tweet sheet about heightening the Bills-Dolphins rivalry, which took a noticeable step up last season. Evan wants to create a new villain in the rivalry. So his suggestion is Tyreek Hill flipping off Bills Mafia like Brian Cox did back in the 90s. I mean, a lot of people, including myself, don't like the guy, so it'll just add fuel to the fire. There is a history there, obviously, from his time with the Chiefs, given deuces to the Bills on his way into the end zone. Let's not mm-hmm. forget that. Um, now he's on the Dolphins, and, yeah, if he did something like that, that would that well, would just, juice it up a little bit. Yeah, let's not forget. Brian Cox was <clears> – <throat> I mean, that guy was a – you want to talk about heating up a rivalry, that guy was a blowtorch. 
<laughs> yeah, he was. <laughs> I have gotten to know him since our time playing. I played with him in the Pro Bowl as well, and certainly, as most of you would realize, it was much better to have him on your team than against your team. Right. And I've told him this, and it's the truth. Of all the guys on those Miami Dolphin teams we played over the years, Dan Marino, John Offerdahl, all those guys that were there uh, back in the day, almost to a man, our entire team would have said, the only guy we would really like on your team, on our team, would be Brian Cox. Yeah. He was, he was one of a kind. But that guy, I mean, you could, when he's doing, the Dolphins players would tell you, he's doing all that stuff. That we're like going, oh, geez, we, we, we really got to buckle it up now. <laughs> you know? We got, we got, Brian, oh, what are you doing? Jeez, what are you him. doing? It's, yeah, it's like kicking the anthill over and then knowing you got to be the next guy that lays down on it, right? So, <laughs> That's what those guys. It, he he was a. He, those guys make a difference. We've talked about having guys on your team with some grit that want to be the point of the spear for your team. Those guys heat up rivalries. Yeah, he was like, "Bring it on!" Ooh, baby, I'll take all comers, even if they're in the stands. Because <laughs> yeah. that had some legs for a while. Oh like, man, he well, he was getting thrown out of a game every other week. Right. You know. Oh. What a, that would juice it up. That would. A that would juice is it up. Always good to to do that for any rivalry. All right, we appreciate the responses today uh, on juicing this thing up, and obviously, competitive games will help come the regular season. Steve is out tomorrow. He's got some charity golf to take care of. Uh, we'll have Maddie in here with me, so we'll see you at on Friday at one p.m.